0: everybody, and welcome back to We've Got Mail. Ring! This is the podcast where you control the conversation right here at the Critically Acclaimed Network. My name is William bibiani I am a critic.
1: Everybody calls me Bibbs. Uh, my name is Whitney Seibold. I, too, am a critic, and I'm the one who made the ring noise. Thank you for that. I don't have to add a sound effect this week. Yeah, I... Look, I have so few talents. Let me have it. Oh,
0: sure. You're wonderful. <laughs> oh, thank you. Uh, here's how this podcast works. Uh, we do a lot of talking here at the Critically Acclaimed Network, and we want to give our listeners an opportunity to chime in. And so uh, we have an email address. Our email address is letters at net, and you can send us emails. And uh, we don't try time to read all of them, but we read some of them on the air, and we respond to your questions, your critiques, your concerns, uh, just anything you want us to talk about, really. Uh, we also have a snail mail account for those who enjoy sending physical letters or yeah, anything right. else you'd you like to send. Whitney, what is our, uh, email, uh, what is our not email? What is our mail address? Regular mail mailing, address?
1: Our mailing address is yeah. uh, the Critically Acclaimed Network, P.O. Box 641565, Los Angeles, California, 90064. Send us a letter. We like that. We'd love to hear from you. It
0: mm-hmm. always makes it fun. You can hear the crinkling of the paper and you know it's yours. <laughs> anyway, uh, we don't like to dilly-dally at the start of this podcast, so we're just going to jump right in. Whitney, uh, tell us about our first email. Uh, here's a
1: letter from Moses. Hello, Moses. Hi, Moses. Uh, <clears throat> Moses says, Dear Bibs, pain. <gasps> and Rockmeister McCool, panic. Ah, Hercules. Yes, we're going to be about Hercules, here, aren't we? Uh, greatly enjoyed the critically reclaimed episode on Disney's Hercules, but then I don't recall not enjoying your podcasts. Oh, oh thank you. That's nice. Uh, your comments regarding not understanding why Phil, Philoctetes, the Danny DeVito character, keeps trying to ensure that Hercules remains chaste scra- left me scratching my head. Uh, do you not notice that Danny DeVito, at several points, was copying Burgess Meredith's performance in Rocky? Yes. Yeah, that's... Yeah, I did, yeah, I did, I did um, really say, yeah. Did uh, We didn't comment on that. but mm-hmm. yeah. uh, Did you not yourselves comment that some some of the scenes were obviously evoking Rocky? Yeah. Uh, yes, not only is this referring to scenes from Rocky, it is a reference to a training technique most boxing coaches swear by. When a fighter isn't training, have no sex. Uh, Mickey growls at Rocky, women weaken legs. I remember that, yeah. Okay. Uh, have sex with men. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> big old, big old loophole right there. Woo! Uh, Some coaches say it saps your stamina, while others believe not allowing your fighting to have sex for a couple of months makes them that much meaner once they get into the ring. Not having sex, I'm pissed off about it. Uh, Sorry this is not a Disney-imposing archaic uh, morality on Herc, but is rather a training technique, as Shaw called it, the sweet science. Is it actually true? Well, it's hard to say. Muhammad Ali swore by it, while Sugar Ray Leonard never bothered with it. Anyway, stay healthy and happy, Moses.
0: Uh, thank you, Moses. And yeah, we really didn't talk about... We had a recent the critically reclaimed episode where we talked about Disney's Hercules, which I had never seen in its entirety before. And there's a lot of things that don't work about that movie, but one of the things we talked about was how um, Herx not allowed in that movie to be romantic. Hmm. And... His trainer is a big part of that. And yeah, obviously, to some extent, there's a reference there, or at the very least, they're leaning into it to justify themselves. Uh, to Rocky, Phil's very, very much based off Burgess Meredith and Rocky. We were remiss for mm-hmm. not pointing that out. Uh, and uh, there was a plot point in Rocky about how Rocky is not allowed to be intimate with Adrian until after the match. He had another reason to celebrate at the end, even if he doesn't win. Uh, and... Uh, y- I've based on what I've read, there's nothing really to that, but mm. it is something that people say and do. so I guess who might have judge um but um, I do think that that's basically trying to explain like why I think you're explaining away Disney's weird chastity mm. uh, and again, chastity even compared to other things. I think yeah, basically
1: well, it, it's it would be a, a, easier to accept the chastity in Hercules if it weren't pervasive throughout. Most Disney animated features. Yeah,
0: if Herc was uh, like the one Disney character who wasn't allowed to smooch uh, because he's in training, that might have felt more justified. Yeah, no, uh, but here, it's like... again, yeah.
1: I, I don't, I don't need sex scenes in the Disney animated. No films. one's asking for that. That's that's but, obviously uh, would be too far. But there, like, there was no reason for him not to per- also pursue a romantic relationship with yeah. Meg.
0: Yeah, and again, Phil is talking about things like, ah, yeah, you're being distracted by romance or mm. whatever, and I'm like. I guess, also, but it feels
1: really forced, doesn't it? it? And especially because he's a satyr. Yeah. When we
0: first meet him, <laughs> he's, he's, he's frog- ogling. He's
1: froggling with... Frolicking with... F-frogling? Froggling? There's is is a portmanteau of frolicking and ogling. Uh, froggling. He's froggling with with nymphs in the woods. Yeah. They're, get, they're getting down and having fun and sexy times.
0: Uh, yeah, I don't think the nymphs are having fun. The nymphs don't seem to oh, be like right. having any fun at all. That's one of my problems with the movie, oh, actually. Well. But regardless, yeah, he doesn't seem to have a problem with sex. Uh, it, just, it just comes across as weirdly hypocritical. Um, in any case, that's not the, the the film's biggest problem, and if it was, it would yeah, basically be a classic, but yeah. Uh,
1: if you're an actual athlete, I mean, to each
0: their own. Uh, sure, whatever there, works for you, I guess. I mean, it doesn't, not having sex hmm, isn't the
1: worst thing that could happen to somebody, I, it's I fine. Have, I have heard it f- uh, from actual athletes, and this is just anecdotal. Um, if men uh, uh, have sex right before a match... Mm-hmm. Uh, then that sort of that does leave them exhausted and they perform worse well whereas na-
0: na- you're, you're sleepy you want to be like yeah, yeah. what a like, nice yeah, I'm, day I'm, you I'm know? spent I'm, yeah, I'm spent ah, now I can't go a, out and compete I'm good I, whereas uh, I have no motivation to do anything
1: I accomplished all my goals whereas women if they have sex before a match they do better <laughs> so is, is, if a man is we, competing against a woman I see a perfect bout of sabotage happening <laughs> Uh, Again, just anecdotal. There's no actual numbers on this. Uh, However you feel, you train the best. Um, Yeah, it's whatever. But yeah... that it's brought up in Hercules, yes, that's an actual thing that some athletes do.
0: Yeah, and I'm sure they. And but, uh, I'm sure they. Rocky was a major influence on Hercules. How could it not be? I'm sure. Well,
1: they, Rocky. Rocky is an influence on every movie that came after it. Pretty even, much, you know. especially every sports movie. Like, yeah. there's
0: no sports movie that came after Rocky where Rocky wasn't part of the consideration when they were yeah. making it.
1: Rocky yeah. is one of the most influential films. Of it's all it's time. a. It's, it's a prime movie.
0: Yeah. You know, you remove it, and all of a sudden, movie history is different. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Better or worse, who's to say? Yeah, who's to Uh, say? But it is very different, yeah. Mm -hmm. An indelible effect on Mm -hmm. screenwriting. Mm -hmm. All right, let's move on. Uh, Here's a letter from Elizabeth. Hello, Elizabeth. Uh, Hello, gentlemen. Hi. Uh, I am actually not writing this letter to ask for your help. (gasps) Oh. Oh, Well, that's okay. It's a weight off Mm -hmm. our shoulders. Uh, Mm -hmm. Nice. (laughs) Rather, I'm requesting the help of my fellow listeners. I am a senior in college, and I'm currently taking Philippine culture for one of my gen ads. We've talked about important literature and folktales, and... And it has made me intrigued to look into Filipino cinema. If there are any listeners out there from the Philippines who know about Philippine culture, mm. uh, what are the best films to represent the culture of the Philippines? Oh. Uh, also, are there any horror movies involving the Oswang or the witch island of Siquijor? Oh. Because if not, it feels like there should be. Uh, thanks, Elizabeth. Okay, and,
0: and I'm actually really glad yeah. you phrased it that way because... You know, witty and I, I'm sure we've both seen some films from the Philippines, mm. but we're not experts. Uh, and uh, especially if you want to know what portrays the culture with some accuracy, mm. we are not the person to ask. So, yeah, we're going to put that out to yeah. everybody. Uh, everybody, if you're from the Philippines, if you are connected a... to the Filipino culture uh, in, in a direct way that you feel like you really know what you're talking about, uh, even if you're not currently living there... Mm. Um, Please email us' we'll, we'd love to read your emails in upcoming episodes. uh our email address once again is letters at criticallyacclaimed dot net uh we're looking for recommendations mm-hmm. and in particular uh as well uh any films that deal with what were the name of the do you have that in front of you again or the
1: islands oh uh the the um the island of uh, Siquijor, the Oswan culture
0: yeah uh if there are any horror movies in particular that deal with that aspect uh, of the culture, we would love to find out about it
1: um this is an excuse for me to talk about love Diaz again. Oh my God. I mean, good, but it's also like, it's also like, it's like, Oh, does bibs have another
0: opportunity to talk about Rockula. Okay.
1: Yeah. Well, let me talk, let me talk Everyone's, about everyone. Everyone take your drink. Um, I'm not an expert in Philippine cinema, but I do know of Lav Diaz, who is one of the more famous filmmakers to come out of the Philippines. And he makes movies about the Philippine national character. So I can recommend at least one movie called From What Is Before, uh, which uh, is about this little tiny uh, village out in rural uh, rural island of the Philippines. And uh, just sort of how there's a lot of... <clears throat> cruelty that seems to be springing up from the ground in this little town, and how there's this uh, very slowly encroaching military force as as the dictatorship begins. Um, Lav Diaz talked a lot about the Philippine national culture in his movies, and how uh, the, the the Marcos dictatorship really kind of warped everything around it, even in really subtle ways, even like way out where things weren't being directly involved. Um, So yeah, I recommend from what is before a warning about love Diaz. His films are prodigiously long, uh, rather infamously. So from what is before is, I think it's five hours and 45 minutes. It's a pretty long one. And uh, he tends to uh, lock his camera down. He shoots in this gorgeous, glittering black and white, uh, all of these sort of natural scenes. And there's going to be a long, long shot where you're just sort of looking at trees swaying in the wind and you hear you know, the sort of the wind whipping around. Mm. And it takes you a little while to realize that there's a person in that shot. And they're kind of walking through these gigantic trees, uh, you know, a, another creature in with this jungle. Uh, it's really, really beautiful. Uh, and they tend to be pretty, pretty harrowing. I, I saw a film of his this year called Genus Pan, the uh, the thesis of Genus Pan is humanity is shit, and that's kind mm. of it. Uh, it has a happy ending, and then it double backs and gives you a sad ending instead. Uh, it's it's one of those kinds of movies uh, about how people have done bad things because people do bad things. Uh, that's, that's my one contribution to the cinema yeah. of the Philippines. But again, well, from my personal experience. Yeah, again, that's
0: limited experience. Mm. I'm, I'm sure they're excellent movies. I haven't seen them. Uh, but uh, we would want to hear people who have Much more intimate experience than we do So mm. once again, our email address is Letters at net. Please put in the headline mm. uh, Something about Filipino cinema uh, So that we can find it And that we know to prioritize it Because we want to do this in as timely manner as we can mm. uh, So uh, again, no pressure But we'd love to hear from you
1: uh, Let's move on mm. Okay. Uh, t- t- here is a letter from Dr. Nova Hello, Dr. Nova. Hi, Dr. Uh, Nova. Hi, Bibbs and Rockmeister McCool. That's me, Rockmeister McCool. Uh, From the way you talk about mainstream movies, it Mm. seems like you are in a bubble of media. (sighs) And maybe that bubble is bigger, but I can say that the things you complain about only happen in your film bubble. Superheroes, Disney animation, rom-coms all have their own film bubbles. And while superheroes take the most box office when they are released, there are more than a few movie types that have big followings. Uh... For instance, nobody, no one brings up Ghostbusters unless they're over 25. <laughs> Teens and kids have their own things. Yeah, blood, blood. That thing is usually Marvel. <laughs> yeah, we we'll talk about that uh, too. Yeah, yeah sign Dr. Nova. Um, yeah, well, I think that's fair mm. to say. I, um, Film Twitter has become such a dangerously weaponized uh, yeah. f- format of discourse yeah. that has warped even the best critics' minds. Yeah, if you spend too much, and I'm and I'm guilty of this too. Uh, you spend, we you, are uh, every single critic who is on Twitter is guilty of this. Yeah, it's e- you, even you, even the great critics. You are you are susceptible to the influence
0: of what is around you, what you're hearing, mm-hmm. uh, and it's it's sort of like when someone says, "I've heard some people say that like the movie the 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 term underrated and overrated means nothing." And I don't think that's mm-hmm. true, but I think they're so highly subjective that they're not really useful because you might know. In your bubble of friends, whether it's online or in person, the people you talk to about movies, whoever you are, um, eight people, eight people who you talk to, Just I'm just picking a number out of my hat, eight people you talk to about movies, and all of them think that mm. 2001 A Space Odyssey stinks. <laughs> they all think it sucks. They all think it's really bad. And maybe you think it's really good, and then you would have every right to say, I think this movie is underrated. But yeah. if you bring it outside of that bubble, a lot of people are from bubbles where it is it's considered one very
1: one of the best bo- movies I've ever made. The most celebrated movies of all time. So that's
0: not very useful. And so when you are focusing on the reactions that you see in your bubble, oftentimes that is Twitter, but it can be due to age, hmm. geography. If you're highly specialized, a lot of people like specialize in geek cinema the marvel cinema the dc cinema Mm. some people specialize in horror some people specialize in family films etc uh your your perception will be skewed and Mm. i think it's important to acknowledge that this is something that is impossible to completely avoid because you can't see everything you can't be a part of every single film conversation at least not equally and there will always be some semblance of well here's what i'm most interested in and so I tend to talk the most about that, and to an extent, that's a bit of a bubble. As long as you're honest about that and you're willing to admit that, I don't think that's the worst thing in the world. But I also think it's fair to be called out about it if we're not talking about it enough, yeah, and I think yeah, that's a good point.
1: It, it's a good point. Uh, it's been really odd, um, sort of the Twitter conversation, because often I hear complaints about a thing without ever encountering that thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have read multiple essays and volumes coming down on the phrase elevated horror, oh, yeah. uh, which was a, a critical phrase that cropped up to describe a, a certain kind of, uh, I guess you might... Art house horror. Yeah, art house horror, something that you might describe as perhaps more mature than a slasher movie. The, 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 the horror films uh,
0: that emerge from A24 are, mm, are examples of this. Stuff like The yeah. Witch yeah, or Hereditary. Yeah. Horror movies which have, you, they have very a hor- clear aspirations to artistic greatness, as opposed to many horror mm. movies, which are often content to not, not, K- cater. To, not even attempt to enter the Oscar I'll, conversation.
1: I'll say c- cater to the prurient. Uh, yeah. I, uh, and I've, I've heard all of these, all of uh, critics and peers of mine complain mm. about how, what, what a stupid phrase. Can't we just, you know, put all horror together and some is great and some is not. And I have never once anywhere encountered the phrase in the wild. I have when it first started. You did.
0: Okay. There was an initial essay or article or something that tried to popularize the phrase elevated horror. And I think what happened in that case was... And it was from a real publication. I don't remember what it was. It was from, like, a significant publication. Mm-hmm. And it, was, it wasn't it was just, like, some blog on the internet. It was, like, a real... Well,
1: and clearly you know, somebody was very enamored of these oh, yeah. films. So they were trying to be very complimentary. Yeah, it was, it that was, sounds like a complimentary phrase. Yeah, yeah. and and I, But it was misguided. I think we can... A lot of us
0: agree on that. I've read plenty of essays explaining why. I, and Exactly. Yeah. And I think what happened was is that... Horror, in particular, can be really gun-shy about these kind of things. Because horror is often mischaracterized. Yeah. And horror is often... Uh, uh, held to these weird double standards where if it's good, all of a sudden some people say it's not horror, uh-huh. and I think horror communities are very protective of the genre. And when they see something that might trend or might get picked up, they wanted to jump on it and say, "No, we're not cool with that. That that mm. we're not. We're rejecting that outright." Elevated horror is just a way to say that this horror is good and all other horror belongs like in the trash heap and it was not elevated yeah even if it was well-intentioned there's so many ways it can go bad we do not Mm -hmm. want to accept this and i think i feel like they did a good job i feel like no one uses it now Mm -hmm. as a result of it but maybe it's okay to put it to bed now i think i think we just i think we overdid it slightly but the job was done and this the term was not popularized and I think well, that's why I think I think there was there was a Kurt, definite defense against that.
1: There was a definite defense, uh, an over defense, I would say, though. Arguably, yeah. but again, this is anecdotal. This is my bubble. This is my experience. No. Of, you know, I, remember, whatever you're seeing on social media is catered to you. I, AI yeah. is changing what you see. It, it, so you, uh, you want like a what weird, are you,
0: like a, a weird, just like uh, fish out of water thing. Just pick up anyone else's Twitter and just scan through their timeline.
1: Yeah, yeah. If it's they're not like if they're not exactly different.
0: in the same community, you are. Like I, every once in a while, I'll like pick up. My partner, mm. uh, MLOP, has to Silva's phone for one reason or another. They want to show me, like, something on Twitter. Mm. And I just look up and down their timeline a little bit, and they follow completely different communities. It is a totally different world, yeah, and they're talking about totally so, different things.
1: So, yeah, we can't, we can't ever mistake Twitter for the real world. No, nope, never do that's, it. It. Uh, But it's something we're tempted to do because that's mm. all we're seeing if we're on Twitter nope. a lot. Uh, and, but
0: this happens even without Twitter. Like, academics will mm. talk about things that are in academic Papers and yeah, people who are into yeah. sports Will know a lot more minutiae About what's going on with their favorite sports team Than people who don't And it like seems like a- oh everyone's talking about What the Jets did in the Final quarter well, last, know, a- last week And I'm like I don't know what the fuck you're talking
1: about And that's part of yeah. it and that's not the end of the world. Yeah, here, here's a good film example. Uh, when the film Mary Poppins Returns came out. Ah. Uh, I haven't seen Mary Poppins Returns so I, I can't, can't speak to its quality. I actually haven't seen that one either. Um, I, I didn't have to. I actually really wasn't interested and mm-hmm. I part of the reason I wasn't interested was I knew that this was the film that they rushed into production that they had ready to go mm. as soon as P.L. Travers died. That's
0: something really mercenary. Yeah, like about,
1: like yeah. P.L. Travers said that they couldn't make any more movies. But Disney was not allowed to touch her work anymore. She was so dissatisfied with the Mary Poppins film with uh, uh, Julie Andrews that uh, they, they couldn't touch her work until she died. But they had one ready to go for when she did. Yeah. And that was Mary Poppins Returns. And I after seeing Saving Mr. Banks, that kind of soured me on the whole relationship between Disney and Mary Poppins. Mm-hmm. I so yeah, there's this whole kind of yeah, mercenary yeah. commercial thing about Mary Poppins it, it returns. It seems like that a distasteful
0: enterprise, no matter how good it turned yeah. out.
1: Meanwhile, yeah. uh my dad doesn't know any of that. He doesn't care. He didn't see Saving Mr. Banks. Mm-hmm. He saw Mary Poppins back in the sixties. He hasn't revisited a lot on home video since he just thought of it as a delightful musical with songs he can sing. Mm. He had the sheet music. He liked to sing those songs. So he went to go see Mary Poppins return and it was just a delightful gay romp. He was fine with it. Mm. Critics are going to be responding to all of this backstory. We have maybe too much information. Sometimes my dad maybe is more more of the ideal audience. Somebody who just has well, he's vague the intended fun. audience. The intended audience. The, I, I know about yeah. ideal,
0: but I think he's the intended audience. And it's important mm. to remember that we go to critics, and I even I do this too. I go to other critics who mm. have expertise in things that I don't have an expertise in. Everyone has their focus, and I go to them because they know more about it. Mm. I don't go to them for the average. Nothing wrong with the average. There's nothing wrong for only knowing so much about a thing. That's how we are about most things. That's how Mm. I am about music. I love music. Music is great. Mm. I don't follow music nearly as closely as I do uh, cinema. Mm. And I don't know as many bands. I don't know as much about the history. And you can always teach me things. And that's why I go to critics of music so i can go like oh how interesting or if i go to people who have more uh developed eclectic or in-depth taste than i do i learn things Mm. but it is also totally okay for me to just put something random on spotify and go well this sounds nice (laughs) i like this now (laughs) and that's okay yeah
1: Yeah.
0: it is okay um but yeah to be out of a bubble to be the, the first off there is no such thing as being out of a bubble your bubble is just different
1: you're just moving You're, may, into somebody may, else's bubble Maybe I it's have.
0: bigger, maybe it's smaller Maybe it's a completely different location But we're all in some kind of bubble Because there's no one who can experience literally everything mm-hmm. Everyone has taste, everyone has interests uh, Everyone has limitations Anyway, my point is It's not a critic's responsibility not to be in a bubble It's not a mm. critic's responsibility Not to have focus or expertise or even to ignore what's going on in their peers, of their community. But it is a responsibility to say when someone says you're in a bit of a bubble to acknowledge, yeah. Mm-hmm. And here's where that bubble is. And here's, I, I tend to be focused a lot more on the horror community than I do on a lot of other communities. So I tend to be in that bubble a little bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, uh, and, and less so, for example, the star Wars bubble where I always feel mm-hmm. like I'm on the outside looking in on there.
1: Yeah. yeah. Uh,
0: so totally fair. Totally fair critique. I don't think it's entirely escapable. I think the best thing we can do is just be upfront about it.
1: The most exciting thing is when the bubbles bump. Yeah. It's like, I'm outside of your bubble. Here's a fresh perspective. I'm outside yeah. your bubble. Here's a, here's a fresh perspective. Ah, oh, my perspective is fresher than yours. Uh, <laughs> people get mad about it. I love it. Sometimes,
0: yeah. 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 But, uh, but thank you for bringing that up. And it's and it's totally fair. And, again, we... we... We are coming from, and and age is totally a factor here, and the things that were important to us growing up are not going to be the same to people who are growing up now, and that is one of the important reasons why we need young people to get into the critic game, whether you want to get into the business or whatever, we need your insights, and we need insights from people who aren't just casual about it who really really care mm. and are eager to participate and are eager to make because that's one of the reasons i got into this it's because when i was growing up i felt like a lot of the movies that i was growing up with that were really important to me that i saw artistic value in were being overlooked ignored dismissed, disregarded yeah. dismissed and i wanted to enter the conversation so that i could say i think these movies have a lot of value and i think that we need voices to support them and Mm -hmm. i think no matter how well-intentioned we are and i definitely don't try not to disregard newer young stuff out of hand just because it's not my generation it's going to have a different impact because i'm not in Mm. that younger bubble yeah youth is a bubble too so Mm. in any case we need young voices to tell us okay ghostbusters is just this old thing now and people are less into it than they used Mm. to be perfectly reasonable that's going to happen the most if not all things eventually w- what is it what is the new ghostbusters or what has bigger what, than ghostbusters or what, what has what does has it, that impact
1: if you're to show ghostbusters to a 14 year old in 2021 what are they going to think of it does yeah. it doesn't still function that's very valid
0: and if it doesn't function sometimes things just don't age mm-hmm. sometimes things don't age like wine
1: sometimes they just get moldy and stinky been a while since i've seen ghostbusters
0: i think I it holds to, up but i also think that it is a film that is yeah it's it's kind of weird
1: that it became as huge as it got and i think yeah, and mostly really. it's a result of the, the animated series keeping it alive well, it, it was big at my school because Harold Ramis' daughter went to my school. Oh so, well there you go. So yeah, I, but also these like, were like he, he was showing up to you yeah. at school to pick her up. These
0: are like three of the biggest comedians in the world at the time. Ernie Hudson wasn't a big comedian, but Ernie Hudson was a well respected mm. actor too. So Gourney Weaver was a big star. This was a gigantic mm. you know, enterprise and it had cool visual effects and it took itself kinda seriously and it It, it, it took it, the horror stuff seriously. It took the horror so, stuff yeah. seriously, even but while it's a pit center and everything yeah. else. It's it I think it works. I think it's it's it is an interesting film and I think I can see why it really hit a generation, but I think that's something that people in our generation or bubble if you will are really hesitant to admit. The shit we like is old.
1: <laughs> We're old. The shit we like is old. Well, it we, is okay to admit that it is old. We to, are old. Yeah. We're no longer the taste makers. No. I think that's frustrating for a lot of uh, people who mm-hmm. discovered their voices in their twenties and yeah. are now in their forties—it's like. But I, I'm used to being listened to. Yeah. Well, well, you're old now. It's also worth
0: noting that a lot of the movies that get made are made from our nostalgia experience, but they're being aimed at younger audiences, and those yeah. audiences aren't always interested. Mm. They're not necessarily. Ghost, no, Ghostbusters tr- is great. Yeah, whatever. We have TikTok. Yeah, yeah it's they, like- have other, <laughs> they have other. They have other things. Other franchises. MCU is the big thing for a whole generation it has been for over 10 years now it's about 13 years old that's that's a a sizable chunk of cinema history Mm -hmm. that that dominated the box office that's a big deal we can't pretend that that's a blip that's a big deal so we have to acknowledge that and we have to accept that and we have to listen when younger people are saying that's that's old now and that's fair that doesn't mean it's bad doesn't mean it's irrelevant doesn't mean it's not an important part of history Sometimes it isn't, but sometimes it is. But yeah, I think about I think about some of the movies that were really formative to me. Like I don't know, RoboCop or Total mm-hmm. Recall. Like those were like two big movies when I was growing up. And if you're like twenty now, mm. those movies came out over ten years before you were born, <laughs> which means they are the equivalent to this generation uh, that. A movie like Psycho was Mm. to my generation or Bonnie and Clyde. Cool, maybe. Interesting, exciting cinema, sure. What we're watching and what's directly influencing our experience and what speaks to us as a generation? No. No. It's just not. It's history now. And that's fine and that's good and I'm glad we're here to talk about it. But yeah. So thank you for bringing it up, and I yeah I don't even take that as a critique. I think it's just a fair observation, and we and we deserve we need to talk about it more. We need to contextualize more. We need to remember that no matter when Whitney and I got started in this or when our interests got started, we're we're old now. We're 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 in the grand scheme of things, we're not that old. Mm. In the grand scheme of life, we're we're like barely mid uh, middle age, but at the same time, fr- from an art perspective, and art moves in much more quickly in generations. Oh. We're kind of old.
1: Our, 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 not art, more popular culture, the way it's wielded commercially. Is yeah, I think a, art does a, too, but young, fair Younger enough. audiences. It's it's a, more so popular It's a young person's theory. game. Yeah. Uh, can we move on to another letter now? Oh, if we might. <coughs> okay. I just realized that conversation, I'm <clears>
0: glad <throat> we had it. Okay, moving
1: on. All right, uh, here is a letter from Yuri uh, Shirovica. Hello, Yuri. Uh, I, it says in parentheses, I love listening to people struggling to read my surname. Ah. Because it's a... Well, a Polish surname with CZs and Z's. Hopefully it. we hopefully we <clears throat> did it. We I, I, know I, hope I, I hope I I hope did it justice. Uh, hello, Bibbs yeah. and Wit. A few weeks ago, you were talking about movie titles and their translations. Oh, yeah. I am from Rio de Janeiro in Brazil, Ooh. and I've got some more cool or odd translations. A couple nice. of 007 translations because I was watching them all last month. Uh, real fast,
0: uh, in case anyone missed an earlier episode, uh, when a movie is released in another culture, sometimes they change the title. Mm. Often they change the title because the literal translation of the title doesn't work because of the nuance of language. And so sometimes movies have dramatically different titles depending on what region they're released in We've done a few of them before I'm very curious to see what Yuri
1: has to share with us Um, Let's see Uh, Doctor No was called The Satanic Doctor No Ooh, that's better
0: That's (laughs) Uh, much better
1: Moonraker was called 007 Against the Death Rocket Also better (laughs) (laughs) The Living Daylights was called 007, Marked for Death not yeah, as good. It's, it's fine, yeah. And uh, Die Another Day was called A New Day to Die, which sounds like mm. a different Bond movie. Well, it's, it sounds
0: like it's the exact opposite, mm. doesn't die it? Another,
1: uh, die Another Day, A New Day. They're both about dying on a different day from today. Mm, I, I guess the implication
0: for A New Day to Die, I, I was taking it as well, you died before, and now we're going to die on Tuesday now. <laughs> I, but is, I guess,
1: is, is Tuesday good for you? Is, Tuesday is Tuesday die, good
0: Dying, for you
1: dying to Good for, for die? you? Die, Tuesday? We're good? That's, Tuesday? that's the next James Bond yeah. movie. Is, t- is Tuesday good to die? <laughs> Uh, one particular case surrounds the word panico or panic Uh, the Scream franchise was translated as panic okay I think that due to its success a couple of horror movies added the word panic to their titles oh yeah Lake Placid was called panic at the lake wrong turn was called panic at the forest road rage was called panic at the road and detention was called panic at the school (laughs) alright well that's 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 cool Mm -hmm. it's fun Uh, one last thing that I wanted to say created like an accidental franchise Oh, try watching them all and see if you can, like, draw parallels. Weird. Uh, One last thing I wanted to say before the end of this letter is how listening to older episodes from 2019 and 2020 is helping me deal with one anxiety. I love movies, and I'm a film student, and the idea that I have not seen a couple of classics no matter how long I live... I'll never finish my watch list is a source of distress. And while I was listening to your older episodes, a listener or one of you guys talks about how a classic or highly praised modern movie. And the other one will sometimes say, Oh, I've never gotten around to that. (laughs) gotten around to sitting and watching that one. This made me relax a little. Uh, If guys, if guys that watch tons of stuff and love the medium, never got around to seeing this movie, I guess I shouldn't worry too much. Uh, Thank you so much for your work. You guys have been a great company through the pandemic. Yours, Yuri. Yuri, thank you so much for your letter. And, um,
0: yeah, it's important to remember, and I've I talked to a lot of film critics, many of them very famous, and I, some of them I consider friends, some of them are mm. merely acquaintances, but nobody has seen everything.
1: Mm.
0: Nobody. There's too much to see.
1: Yeah.
0: And sometimes people have surprising gaps. Like, you would think that this famous, film, like, I'm not going to name names, but like, you would think that this famous film critic would have seen mm. Every important, like, best picture winner, and then you find out that they've never seen Lawrence of Arabia or something. Yeah, 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 and it's it, it happens, and nobody has time to see everything. Sometimes we have ulterior motives. I like knowing because I've done a lot of research, I've gone through a lot of lists. Like, I want to see every single movie on the AFI top 100 or whatever. Hmm. Once you've seen most of those, there comes this moment where you realize that, oh, wait, there are only so many, like, popularly considered, quote-unquote, classic must-see movies that I haven't seen. I don't want to be done. (laughs) You kind of hold them back. You want to hold them back. You want to, like, oh, there will be a rainy day when Mm. I'll finally see, I don't know, Charade. I've never seen Charade. Okay. With Audrey Hepburn and Mm. Cary Grant, considered a classic thriller. I've seen the remake. I know what happens, and it's through cultural osmosis. It was the truth about Charlie was a remake. The truth Shred, about Charlie was, was a remake. It's good, actually. I like yeah. that. Maybe not compared to the original, but in a vacuum, I liked it. Um, but uh, yeah, I've never, I've never seen Charade, just for one example. One day, it will be a rainy day where I'll have an afternoon all to myself, and I'll be able to say, Today is the day I get to watch a movie that is considered a classic that I haven't seen. Mm. And I'll get to watch Charade. And it will be nice you can't see everything you will never see everything in part because there's just too much to catch up on in part because some movies are lost. <laughs> there's no, there, there's no record of a lot of cinema out there. That's it's just gone. So you, I
1: That's, think it's important to just sort of acknowledge the, those that lost movies aren't, uh, hmm. aren't like a reason to you know, keep them off your list. I guess they are. Yeah, like like if like they the come out, religion, if they're but, found,
0: uh, see them. But yeah. like, my point is this, but Don't I, put too much pressure on yourself, but if you're excited to see classic movies,
1: see as many as you can, go for it, but, but as yeah, many, don't, don't as, feel overwhelmed. As many as you can doesn't mean stressing yourself out. The, no. This idea of, um, and this goes back, I think, to internet life, this idea of the, what has been dubbed FOMO, the fear of missing out. Yeah. Like, I I can't get off of social media. What if there's a party I'm going to be invited? What if my friend says something witty? What if there's a conversation I can contribute to? What if there's a
0: controversy I'm unaware of? Yeah, what if if there's a
1: news story that comes up, and I need to be in on that? This idea that you need to be tapping into the culture is something that a lot of social media has sort of renewed afresh in us and made incredibly intense. Yeah, I think it was particularly Uh, intense in the Trump years when everyone's like... It freaks me out,
0: but he's on Twitter and I need to know what's going on because at any moment he can do something terrible. Yeah, I I need to be sort
1: of prepared for whatever the next news story is. There was a movie about that with Ike – it was made by Ike Barinholtz, the comedian. Um, uh, It was called The Oath. And it was was like this parallel Trump world and it was about a guy who was addicted to his phone and like looking Mm -hmm. at the news stories. And that movie is very much about what – if you're obsessed and you're looking at your phone and reading news 24 hours a day – What's the story you're actually waiting for? Like, what are you waiting for to happen? Because right now you're just sort of obsessed and staring and doing nothing. Uh, Yeah. It taps very much into this phenomenon. And I think that translates very easily into the world of film consumption, Mm. where uh, there are so many movies out there, and now you're so much more aware of what's out there. There was a time when you were only aware of what was out there because it was playing near you, or you read a book about them, or maybe you uh, lived by a really well-stocked video store. Mm -hmm. If you lived by a a really well-stocked video store, you're not watching every video in that store, are you? Mm -hmm. You could never catch up with all those movies, even if you were obsessed. You have to live
0: your life. You Mm -hmm. can't spend every waking hour. If you you watch two or three movies a day, you'll never catch
1: up. And you you and I like to complain ad nauseum about how uh, streaming services... Are fickle and how they take things off of their service, mm-hmm. and nothing is a permanent archive the way we as film critics would like them to be. There's still plenty. Oh, there's no shortage there's, of stuff. There's no shortage of stuff. Yeah, it's just not necessarily what we want, but yeah, it's like you, it's, you can, it's, there's no you, shortage of you stuff. You can have any one streaming service and be covered. You know, it's yeah. you, you got plenty to go through. Get Ovid. That's all you need. <laughs> uh, Ovid or Shudder. Those are the only two you need to concern yourself <laughs> with. All the others are shit. Just throw them in the bin. Uh, 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 Tubi.
0: Tubi. He has no
1: respect for Tubi. Tubi is the nicest shit. <laughs> <laughs> Tubi is, is like. Bottom rack kind of video store We stuff. are not
0: brought to you by Ovid, Tubi, or Shudder. I no. Don't know. no I, I, suppose, I suppose we do have commercials now. Maybe so those, it would be ironic if we were opened with a commercial for Shudder or something, yeah. but I don't, to the best of my knowledge, no. we do, they don't run that by us, so I don't. No, think.
1: no, no. Uh, yeah. If, yeah, if Shudder is a sponsor, okay, I, I, okay, I, well, I can say that, but no, yeah. we're not, Shudder is not a sponsor. Yeah. None of these streaming services sponsor us. Uh, But my point being, because of the nature of the internet and because we're so aware of everything that's going around and because we're aware of conversations about these movies that are out there in the Mm -hmm. world, we can actually not just find the movie itself, we can find essays on just about everything now. I mean, how many essays that's are there great. about how uh, Halloween 3 is good now? Uh oh it's God, like way too many. Yeah, I like, think like that topic's pretty well covered. Uh, ha- Halloween 3 has been over-rescued. It's, it, it's yeah. not as good it's, as that, it's,
0: guys. It's, it's gone from underrated to Co- quite rated to a little overrated. Yeah, I see sometimes people rate it above the original Halloween. And I'm like, that's you're allowed to have that opinion. Obviously, I'm not, I can't complain. But I'm also going...
1: That no, feels ha- weird. Halloween 3 is a weird, stupid movie. It's enjoyable yeah. because it's weird and stupid. I
0: watched it this Halloween. I had a really, really good time with it. I don't think it's nearly as well-crafted as the original No, Halloween. no, not my understanding. But any like, if you prefer it, I guess that's mm. fine.
1: But anyway. But because there's so much in the conversation about these movies, there is now an increasing panic when it comes to missing them. Yeah. Oh my God, I haven't seen Halloween 3 yet. You know what? You can wait on Halloween 3 season of The Witch. <laughs> There's, there's, a, there's, in fact, a lot you can wait on. Don't feel that the pressure is on now. I will, and I, I'm just giving you permission yeah. to take the pressure off. We,
0: Whitney and I have been at this for a long time. I'm very passionate about movies. We have both gone through extended periods where our goal was to see every single thing of a thing. Whitney has seen every single one of the witchcraft movies. That is not recommended. That is a full no. contact sport as far as cinema goes. I watched
1: um, the most recent three recently as well. I knew
0: it. I knew you had, that's your point.
1: They shot all three of them over the course of a week in a yoga studio on, in silver Lake. No. <laughs> all, the, all three movies that's take place amazing. in the same goddamn yoga studio. That's they clearly didn't get permission from the business cause they're filming <laughs> it like from across the street <laughs> at night.
0: That's absolutely amazing. Yeah. My point is this, my point is this, um, we also, Whitney and I are coming to this place, we've done this for a long time, mm. and we've gotten to a point where we're a little zen about it. Um, when you're young and you're voracious and you want to consume much, and you have more time, yeah. which is also really important, and you want to use that time to learn more about whatever, mm. film, music, painting, history, cars, whatever you're interested in, do it. Develop mm. that expertise, develop that passion. But I just don't want you to be discouraged Because there's a lot of it There will always be a lot of it yeah. That's not a reason not to start That's a reason to start now And to realize that you have time You have as much time what? as you can And you will, You can spend your whole life doing it You spend a couple of years doing it You can binge it all in a month And say to yourself Eh, movies aren't for me And that's okay too Just don't let yourself get discouraged By the sheer volume what? out there Because that's not yes. going to change And just don't let anyone... Don't ever let anyone treat you like you're less than because you haven't seen a movie yet. You haven't got to it yet. Just say, I'll get to it. Stop being a weird gatekeeper dick about it.
1: Well, Some people do. And I know when I was younger
0: and less mature, I did this too. Like, oh my god, I can't believe you haven't seen the original Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Hmm. I was a dick. Hmm. I was a dick about that. What I should have said was, oh, you haven't seen the original Texas Chainsaw Massacre? We, we you're going to have such a good
1: time when you do. Do you want to watch it together? That's the attitude. That's, uh, but if, of course, you know, shaming your friends is, is a, a, time, gr- on a gr- tradition. Yeah, time on a ha- habit of teenagers. Um, yeah, but with something we should uh, encourage. Uh, uh, no, but, uh, you know, I, I acknowledge that it does still happen. Right. Uh, here's something else to encourage you as well. Uh, y- your list in your head, the things you've seen, your mm-hmm. favorite movies, those are yours and yours personally. True. Uh, They matter to you. They've affected your life. You don't necessarily need to adhere to another person's list. You can get a recommendation. If something sounds interesting, you watch it. Mm -hmm. You can form your own opinion on it. But your personal canon is always going to be your personal canon and if you discover something that is yours that's way more exciting yeah than getting in on a broader conversation on uh, that everybody yeah. else is talking about. if you if you if you watch a vertigo for the first time you do not have to even if
0: you like it doesn't have to be in your top 10 of all time just because the sight and sound poll said it was the best film ever made and if you watch i don't know any even a movie that people disregard I don't know, the movie Desperate Measures starring Andy Garcia and Michael Keaton. If that's the most important movie in the world to you because that connected with you on some personal level, it's a very random film I picked. But in any case, regardless, that's good. Tell people about that. Mm. Make that share. Because maybe other people will see it too. That's that's important. And that's how those movies that become canonized become canonized. Because people stood up for them. Mm. And some some of them are easier battles than others. Some of them are uphill. But they're worth fighting if you care. So. Mm. Anyway, we should move on. But again, thank you. Really good
1: letters. this I <laughs> really love this week. Let's let's move on. What do we got? Uh, here's a letter from Andrew. Hello, Andrew. Um, Hiya, Bibbs and Rockmeister McCool. Very Ooh. strange spelling. Every spelling of Rockmeister McCool is correct. That's uh, correct. Um, While listening to the recent episode of Only the Best, Mm. where you discussed the film Madame Curie, Mm. uh, you made an offhand comment about the relative unimportance of their daughter. Uh, This seemed extremely odd to me, given that the film was based on a book written by the younger daughter of Marie and Pierre Curie. Eve. It's possible given the focus on Marie rather than her family's legacy, the filmmakers chose to ignore the daughters, but it seems also very odd that no nod was given to the fact that their elder daughter, Irene was also a Nobel laureate who had been awarded just eight years earlier in 1935. Mm. Not really a question I know, but I find that timid fascinating that the Curie family has five Nobel prize winners in it. Mm. As, uh, I suppose to make this a question uh, I can ask, what are some egregious examples of important facts being left out of biographical features? I know it's impossible to cover an entire life in two to three hours, but some films do a much better job of highlighting the most important points. I'm not talking about creating scenes that obviously didn't happen. I'm looking at you, Michael Myers, in Bohemian Rhapsody, mm-hmm. or things that are compressed together for time for dramatic purposes. I'm talking about completely ignoring important facts that completely change the story. Any thoughts, Andrew? Uh, great
0: Mm. Great question, by the way, and uh, for people who don't know, one of our Patreon-exclusive podcasts, it's called Only the Best, and we review every single film ever nominated for Best Picture, and we just started, there's a big chunk in the 30s and 40s where there were 10 nominees for Best Picture, mm. and uh, we've been divvying those up half per podcast. We usually do all the nominees in a year, but mm. when it's 10, we do five and five, and um, I think we started, was it 43 we just started, or 44? 43. We started the Best Picture nominees of 43, and one of the Best Picture nominees of 43 is a biopic of Madame Curie, mm. uh, called Madame Curie, and it stars Greer Garson, uh, who starred in Mrs. Miniver, and just won an Academy Award for it, uh, and Walter Pigeon, her co-star mm. from Mrs. Miniver, and a few other co-stars from Mrs. Miniver as well. It's very much a, re- a reunion thing. Hey, this won a bunch of Oscars, let's do it again, and we'll do this big Uh, Oscar Bay type biopic Mm. and it's a respectable film it's also a weird film because one of the big legacies of the Curie's research uh, was all of the various technologies that we now use radium for some of which are mostly if not entirely beneficial like Mm. x-rays or uh, chemotherapy however that research was also used to build the atomic bomb. Mm. The movie came out before the atomic bomb had been invented and used. Nowadays, if you do a biopic of Marie Curie, and there was there was one last year called *Radioactive*, starring Rosamund Pike, which is quite good, uh, you would need to include that information because that's the context. Mm. This is how the atomic bomb started here, ironically enough, in this love story. Yeah. yeah. Excuse me, knocked over something. Uh, But when this movie came out, that wasn't a thing. So it ended relatively happily, even though they left out some key stuff, like the fact that Marie Curie's radiation studies irradiated her and led directly to her death. The movie knew that. The movie doesn't talk about that. Yeah, yeah. They they foreshadow it a little, but they don't address it because they want it to end on a happy ending. Yeah. And the movies, I apologize if we gave the short shrift, but the movies give a short shrift to their kids.
1: Yeah. The, who are we, we who don't talk interesting to, lies in of themselves. Yeah, we don't talk about them because the movie doesn't talk about yeah, them. Yeah,
0: um, but we should probably should have mentioned it. So thank you for bringing that up. I really appreciate that. Yeah. But there's a lot of movies that do a very poor job of Telling the story of someone's yeah. life for one reason or another,
1: the um, the notion of like leaving out like a really something really important uh, sometimes come up with uh, biopics that tend to be a little uh, hero worshipping, trying to yeah. show their subjects in a very very positive light, even if they've done negative things. Um, Ed Wood is actually guilty of omitting a lot of oh, things yeah. about Ed Wood's life. Oh, um, yeah. They wanted to show Ed Wood's life as something very, very positive. And if you know anything about the end of Ed Wood's life, it was not positive. He died, you mm-hmm. know, in, in, in impoverished alcoholic squalor in one of the worst buildings in Los Angeles. It was not a happy ending for that man. Um, a, a film came out called All Eyes on Me. Oh, I didn't see that it was, one. It was, it was a Tupac documentary. Yeah, yeah. Or not documentary, a, a biopic. Mm. And. It glossed over everything. There was uh, an incident where uh, there's conflicting statements as to what happened, but uh, a man was, like, beaten in a hallway where Tupac just happened to be, and it's depicted in the film as he just happened to be there. Uh, He went to a party, and violence just happened to break out, and it is exonerating... uh, him from anything that he might have been involved in to the point where it feels like they're obfuscating. Uh, it is not good. Yeah, no, that's, mm. uh, that's really, really rough. Um, let's see, uh, Gandhi. Mm. Oh, <laughs> Gandhi has some
0: skeletons in his closet that, uh, the movie Gandhi doesn't address.
1: Mm. I think that's, uh, maybe something to mention. Um, that yeah, the movie kind of popularized the view of, of how mo- many people see Gandhi.
0: Mm-hmm yeah exactly and they they see him as a saint and Mm. he he wasn't he was deeply flawed in many ways Uh, a beautiful mind if you look into john nash's actual life a lot of unpleasant things that that person was responsible for or Mm. did or believed and um they just don't mention those at all uh the theory of everything is no. a film that's about how uh Stephen Hawking's very rapturous marriage to uh, uh, well, his first wife, Felicity Jones, his place, I forget her name, um, kinda glosses over a lot of the bad things that happened in that marriage. Um Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm trying to think, I mean, there's pretty much any biopic has to leave something out.
1: Yeah. And uh, And oftentimes they're leaving
0: out things that would make them unsympathetic.
1: Yeah, there's, there's, uh, sometimes you do get like a warts and all biopic and, Mm -hmm. you know, focuses on like all of the horrible things they did. Those tend to be very rare though, because we're still stuck in this mold that a biography has to be this old fashioned American notion of a portrait of the great great man usually, but mm-hmm. portrait of the great person. So yeah, we're not going to focus on, uh, their failings or if they were, uh, notoriously cantankerous, it's going to be depicted as sort of like a, mm-hmm. a, a personality quirk. Um, do you remember the movie Shirley with yes. uh, Elizabeth Moss? Yeah, yeah, I do Shirley Jackson. Yeah. 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 Uh, that's half, uh, uh fictionalized because, uh, half of the movie takes place around this couple that was living with Shirley Jackson mm-hmm. that never existed. They're not real people. And, uh, it's all, and another really curious thing about that film is, although it depicted Shirley Jackson as being sort of really, sort of awfully mean and kind of an outsider because she was always going to these fancy balls and she had no interest to, in, not balls, but, you know, parties mm-hmm. with uh, the society ladies and she had no interest in any of that. There's a, a bit where she spills some wine on a couch and the, the woman leans down, oh no, you spilled wine on the couch. And she just empties the glass on the couch. That kind of character. Yeah. And a lot of the, uh, the anxiety of the character in that movie is that she doesn't know uh, what her legacy is going to be like. She's not had a, you know, She's concerned about being a mom and having children and just you know, sort of passing on her legacy, whereas the young couple she's living with are, is having a baby. Shirley Jackson had a baby. <laughs> Shirley Jackson had a child. Yeah, it's true, yeah. Uh, and in fact, the, the span of, uh, of the time that that movie covered she had already had a child at that point so this idea that she's concerned about whether or not she can have a child is completely counter to the actual life of shirley jackson yeah that's a, an important detail that they left out
0: yeah i'm trying to think i mean there's there's a time ton- mm. i mean we just mentioned that saving mr banks mm. is a biopic of p.l travers which basically suggests at the end of that movie uh that p.l travers was So pleased Hmm. that Disney took her creation and made it his. And Hmm. when she cried at the uh, premiere, she was crying because it was so great. Such such a beautiful thing. You're the one who saved my father. I'm I'm so
1: so glad you could understand my work more than me, Disney. Thank you for following me to,
0: to, to England and telling me that you understand my work better than I do. And then we cut to a few months later and I'm wearing pastels as if that's character development. I hate that movie so. I hate much. that movie too. But like in the in reality, she was crying. She hated it. Yeah. <laughs> she hated the damn movie. But it's so self congratulatory that you lose all that context. Um, again, any biopic, uh, uh, even biopics that like try to address things, sometimes fuck it up. Like Bohemian Rhapsody portrays Freddie Mercury as queer, but it also really tries to avoid getting into it as much as it can. Yeah, in a very weird. way frustrating way and it pissed a lot of people off and with good cause. That movie is so inaccurate. <laughs> like in so many ways. It's ridiculous. Um, but anyway we could, we could do like a whole podcast on nothing but biopics and what they fucked up. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and, uh, but there's plenty of research to be done on that online. I encourage you to do some more searching but
1: um, yeah there's no shortage. Mm. I think we have time for one more. Okay. Um, I, I closed it. I thought we were wrapping up. Oh. <laughs> Let me reopen uh, my, my no, mail No here. no we'll, All right, uh, no. We here's... can wrap up there. You want to no, there? no, I'll do one more. Okay, uh, because we got a Star Trek letter. Oh, well, then we have yeah, got to, to, to do talk this. about a Star Trek letter. Uh, <laughs> this is a letter from Todd. Hello, Todd. Uh, hello, gentlemen. I will keep this short in the hopes that you will go along with it. Why don't any Star Trek movies end with an argument instead of an action sequence? This would seem like the perfect franchise for this to happen. I would love to have seen Star Trek Beyond. I would love Star Trek Beyond so much more mm. if instead of Chris Pine and Idris Elba fist fighting each other, they sat down and had a complex conversation about ethics, philosophy, and science. I look forward to listening to the next three hours of debate <laughs> that you will cut down to five minutes, despite me.
0: <laughs> Thank you, Todd. We almost never um, cut down our conversations. Excuse me. We um, almost never cut down our conversations. By the way, you're yeah, um, almost exclusively unedited.
1: Star Trek movies hmm. are not a good example of Star Trek. Star Trek has always functioned better as a TV show. Well, that's your philosophy. Uh, I don't necessarily agree with that. Oh well. Um, like uh, I, I remember hearing discussions as to like if if you could save uh, one Star Trek film to represent the series, mm-hmm. you look at them all some of them are quite good. I would say yeah. Star Trek The Motion Picture or Star Trek Six are uh, sort of the best examples of of what Star Trek is. Uh, you, um, yeah, 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 probably. Yeah. Um, yeah. none of the next generation movies. The next generation mm-hmm. movies are all varying degrees of bad.
0: I disagree with you there. okay. I think first contact is fine. I think First it's, Contact is... But here's
1: here's the issue with First Contact, and this is what go, the letter goes to. It turns Star Trek into something a lot more action-y. Uh, but here's, what, I, here's,
0: here's mm. what we disagree here. Mm. Because you're arguing that the Star Trek movies, because they tend to be... Uh, uh, the Star Trek movies came out after Star Wars, and there was this mm. general sense that there is now a template for successful sci-fi movies that are expensive, mm. and Star Trek often does better financially when they are more action-oriented. Your Wrath of Cons, your J.J. Abrams mm. movies, etc. Um, and generally speaking, financially, that more or less holds out. Uh, but the show is often more philosophical. The show is often more egalitarian or diplomatic in how it resolves crises. Uh, however, one of the things that I think defines Star Trek is exactly how malleable it is. And how, in the same season of a Star Trek series, you can have episodes that are thoughtful and philosophical and very mm. mature. You can also have episodes that are scary monsters! <laughs> you can also have episodes that are action-oriented and they are basically like submarine movies in space. All of these things are Trek. Hmm.
1: The movies tend to so, focus well, well, on the yeah, action-oriented Trek. I was track, say, but then I why think... are all the movies kind of the same? Well, they're I... not that malleable. They keep on tilting back to the but same the genre. Mo- but the
0: movies are ultimately... What is it? We're, we're at we're like 12 or 13 movies now? 13 now. 13 yeah. movies now. 14 if you count Galaxy Quest, which you should. <laughs> um, there are 14 movies now. That is... What, what percentage of Star Trek stories is
1: that? Like 1%? Mm. Maybe? It's it's Which is why I think the shows are a better exemplar of, of what we need to keep... Discuss about but, Star Trek, but again, though
0: it's it's mm-hmm. they they only represent this one oh, part, and, so I, and it's... it's a part that the, a lot of people who don't follow a lot of Trek they're the only ones they'll see, mm-hmm. and that can be kind of frustrating. But um, I do think that there are some Star Trek movies that are a little bit more like that than they're given credit for. Uh, I think Star Trek Five. Is actually mm, there's, they, there's not a lot. There's not a huge action sequence at the end of that. It is more well, about there, ideas. There, there's a big God tries to blow people up. There's a cares. big
1: fight with God, and it's low budget. And there's the, the Klingon yeah. ship is there too. Um, the, the the actual climax of Star Trek Five really stinks, mm-hmm. but there is one wonderful scene in the middle where they actually. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's very theatrical where uh, we get to see Kirk, Spock, and McCoy kind of looking into the pain of their past. Yeah. And that's a really good scene. Uh, yeah. And Kirk ends up making the argument, you know, you, you can rid me of all of my pain and all my regret and all of my guilt but those things are very important building blocks of who I am now.
0: Yeah, you can't just remi- mm. like it's, therapy is not about erasing mm. bad memories; it's about coming mm. so, to terms with so that. So it's
1: actually yeah. a, a really a really great yeah. scene in a really crappy Star Trek movie. Yeah. I
0: agree that Star Trek: The Motion Picture is very philosophical and very tragic, mm. and doesn't end in a huge action sequence yeah. yeah, that's definitely a good example of what we're talking about here. But, I would uh, argue, the, uh, a, a Voyage Home hmm. doesn't end in fighting. Obviously, it ends in a bit of a of a escape sequence. That's true, but yeah. it's, not, it's still not fighting. It's still and it ends with uh, uh, it's still a yeah.
1: it's still a crisis of action. Yeah, uh, whereas, but it's also not
0: violence, and I think that's a key distinction.
1: I, I think just it, it comes to it comes down to a lack of creativity on uh, the parts mm. of the filmmakers mm. and uh, expectations on parts of the audience. Uh, yeah, I remember uh, Jonathan Frakes, who directed uh, First Contact and Insurrection, talking about how people want Star Trek to be action. Mm-hmm. And I just wanted to yell at the screen, no, we don't. We want the, something like really slow and thoughtful like the show was. Yeah. And unfortunately, slow and thoughtful, uh, a mass audience either doesn't want that or isn't used to that or yeah. uh, is, is trained not to expect that. Mm-hmm. So if it comes, if they release a big Star Trek movie, they're going to want to see a lot of movement and laser beams. Right. Uh what do I want to see? I want to see the slow, thoughtful thing as well. I think they should make a slow, thoughtful thing and see. Check. I think, you can, I think there's something you, <laughs> you know, can do here. You know, if, I think, if, if I want to see it, surely other people want to see think it as about, well. Think about... Here's the deal. You can have
0: movies with satisfying climactic sequences mm. that are full of conflict and threat and danger and suspense without resorting to violence. Mm. And I think that's what we're talking about here. And I think instead of maybe using the template for a successful star trek movie of the wrath of khan which was successful because it was different mm. because it was unlike most other star treks it was a, it was it was a change of pace and mm. it was very satisfying but then they kept chasing that over and over again we got to do make it more like khan that was a mistake we need something new and we need something exciting and you can do that Without action? What if instead of focusing on how can we make this more like Khan, what if we think about other movies that are exciting and thrilling and satisfying that don't have action in them? And maybe we could use that as a tempo. Like, what if, and I feel like we danced around this a little bit in uh, Star Trek Six, of the Undiscovered Country. Mm. But what's a movie that has an incredibly thrilling sequence at the end that everyone remembers, everyone can quote, and has no violence? Mm. A few good men. There you go. Takes place in the military. There's a mystery. There's murder. There's real stakes. But in the end, it boils down to a conflict between two people who are yelling at each other and, yeah, and who believe in very, very different things. And, and that's a hugely between...
1: famous sequence. Same yeah. with uh, "A Scent of a Woman." Scent of a woman. Yeah, the the end of Sen of a Woman*. Well, people. Okay, well, my well I guess that's a drama film. But yeah. yeah.
0: In my experience people don't talk about the end of Sen of a Woman* so much as they talk about the tango scene. But yeah, fair no, enough. I guess my point is so *Fugitive Men* works not for a to, snitch. That a few a a Men* works for me because I feel like it's easy to transpose that onto *Star Trek* because it's it's courtroom like, drama. Yeah, it's set in the military.
1: military yeah. yeah,
0: you can you can do that. Or or here's another one. Here's a great movie that is often considered an action movie. There's almost no action in it. *Crimson Tide*.
1: <laughs>
0: *Crimson Tide* is a submarine movie. And it is a submarine movie starring Gene Hackman as the captain of the submarine and Denzel Washington as the second in command. And they receive an incomplete message that suggests that World War III has started and they need to fire the opening salvo of nuclear missiles. Gene Hackman believes they should send off the missiles. Denzel Washington believes that because the message is incomplete, we cannot trust that. That could be subterfuge, that could be false, that could be misleading. That could be a a test or something. Mm. We just didn't get the complete picture. And there's the the crew is divided and it boils down to Mm. this battle of wills, not violence, wills. That's something you could put in Star Trek. It'd be very, very satisfying without necessarily making it all about action. I think it's something that requires people to not only take risks, but be willing to invest in risk. Mm. Because people believe that Star Trek will only be successful if it's more action y. And there have been enough examples to suggest that. However, there have also been enough examples where people rejected action Star Trek. Yeah. Nemesis no, didn't make a lot of money. Beyond and Into Darkness somewhat underperformed. Mm. That's not what they wanted. So I would love to see Trek, if it comes back into theaters, take a different tactic altogether. Yeah. I would love yeah. to see oh. a straight up horror Star Trek movie.
1: But you make it a monster it. movie. There's, make there's do plenty, it. plenty of monsters. Yeah, you know, and right.
0: and and without and if, if un, do untapped it, horrors of space. If you can do it as a standalone, we just use Trek as the yeah. thing that we're familiar with, and there's a bunch of characters we don't know. All of a sudden, we can kill them, and then it can actually be like a cool PG-13. I don't, don't want to like push people away, but you can do a PG-13 monster movie in space with Star Trek. They did
1: it on TV all the time. <laughs> do it. That would be was, my take. I was going yeah. to make a point, but I forgot what I was going to say. Oh, I'm sorry. Oh, but uh, th- this idea that, th- and it's a, it's really, I think what I was going to say is that this is a crisis of storytelling. Yeah. That uh, th- this is Save the Cat nonsense, where people think that Save the Cat is a template on how to write a screenplay rather than just a suggestion as to how certain screenplays work.
0: It's just an observation <laughs> that every screenplay more or mm. less follows the same yeah. so, really rudimentary rules. They have a beginning, middle, and end. Well, yeah.
1: <laughs> be- because... Uh, films with a lot of violent action set pieces at their end tends to be more successful, we start to think of that as being the only way to solve a crisis. And now we have movie after movie where there's a big violent set piece at the end, whether or not it's appropriate.
0: Yeah, sometimes Uh, they feel really
1: tacked on. Most of the time they feel tacked on. Even *Undiscovered
0: Country, which is my favorite Trek film, you don't need the final battle with Christopher Plummer. You can remove that and it could just be about an assassination attempt, mm. which is itself an act of violence, but it's not a huge action sequence. You don't
1: need that bit. It's yeah, fun, but you, really you don't, don't need it. Movie works um, that. Uh, it's even worse in generations where, yeah. they, where they actually reuse footage from Star Trek I know, It's so, it's so awkward. cheap. It's so awkward. Uh, but yeah, the, this notion that... Uh, a, all films need to be action films. is something we've been tilting toward for the last 15 or 20 years. And uh, it, it's really frustrating because action films have very limited ways of resolving stories. Mm-hmm. They have to resolve with action. And that's not what Star Trek has. as no, is mostly not about. That's not what life is yeah, about. You, yeah, need like, to, you need it's, to have
0: more tools in the toolbox than that.
1: Yeah, and you know, if if all you're seeing in film is violence is the thing that solves problems, well, you're going to start to think that in real life violence can solve problems. So you know, there's Hmm. there's some damage that can be done from watching too many. Think about how many times
0: you've heard people argue that oh, Batman should have just killed the Joker by now. No, that's not the point. If that's the point that you're getting across, I think the media is telling you. Yeah. You're not hearing, you're not seeing enough stories that explain that there are other ways to solve problems. Yeah, that are that, su- that succeed. Batman unlike Batman, Batman not constantly ki- having to reapprehend the Joker, which admittedly not, kind of undermines should not the efficacy of Batman. Should but.
1: not kill the Joker, just cut off his hands and feet and pull out his eyes. Boom, done. Anyway, um, on that note, we're out of here. Um, <laughs> I am not affiliated with this man. That's not true. Uh,
0: thank you everybody for listening to We've Got Mail. Uh, again, if you want to write in to a future episode, our email address is.
1: Letters at net. We also have a P.O. Box. Whitney, what is that? Uh, Right in P.O. Box 641565, Los Angeles, California, 90064.
0: We would love to hear from you, so please chime in. Uh, Again, a couple people uh, asked for uh, actual input from our other listeners, so especially if you are... Living in or from the Philippines or have uh, connections to the Filipino culture, and someone's looking for recommendations, we would love to give that a signal boost. So please email us. We'd love to hear from you. Uh, But just in general, anything you want to talk about, it's all fair game. Um, We're also on Twitter at Critic Acclaim. I am at William Debiani. I'm at Whitney Seibold. And of course, we talked about some of our Patreon stuff. We have a Patreon. It's patreon.com slash critically acclaimed network. We have a lot of bonus podcasts for everybody, including stuff about Star Trek, stuff about Batman. Stuff about the Academy Awards, commentary tracks The whole business Um, And um, Yeah, very special thank you to all of our patrons Without whom this show would not exist So thank you for that Hmm. Uh, I guess that's that That's that Awesome Okay, sincerely yours, Bibbs and Whitney, bye